Um, okay, so the family I'm going to be referring to is the Hart family. They're a Southern Unionist family who came from Muff in County Donegal, which is less than a couple of miles from the Derry-Donegal border. The family had a large ancestral home called Kildare, and they had lived on the London-Derry-Donegal border since the late 16th century. The Harts were prominent landowners, and at one stage they owned, Do- they owned Doe Castle in Donegal. The initials of George von Hart were carved on the doorway, and they can still be seen today. Therefore, they were very well known in the community. The family even owned the, Chur- the Muff Church of Ireland Church, having built it on their grounds. They later gifted it to the wider church and also gave the church money in a bid to ensure that the Muff and Colmore congregations would never be amalgamated. Today, they still stand as two separate congregations, despite the close, pro- sorry, <laughs> the close proximity between the two, and they both have low church attendance numbers. In particular, I am going to be addressing one heart and one heart's experience, and that is Colonel John George von Hart. Colonel J. G. V. Hart was born on the 30th of May in 1879 to William Edward Hart and Bessie Louisa Allman. He grew up in Kildare, County Donegal, and was educated at a private English boarding school, Sedbra. He followed his family's long tradition of joining the military service and received a commission in 1899 for the British West Indies Regiment. On the 23rd of July 1917, in Rathgar, Dublin, he married Catherine Georgina May, known as May, from Rafo. It was extremely difficult to find an image of Colonel John George von Hart. I mentioned earlier that George von Hart is carved in the door, carved in the doorway of Doe Castle, so all the Harts share their same names. There's a lot of John Georges and Vons. <laughs> so this, I believe, is my Colonel John George von Hart, um, but I could be wrong. But I think this is him, and it's an extremely bad photo of him. Um, it's quite blurry. Um, this is the Muff Church of Ireland. It just so happens the day I went to Muff, it was very um, miserable, so I don't have a great image of it, but there is the Welcome to Muff sign, and that is the Muff Church of Ireland, and that's where the Hearts home would have been originally. It's no longer there. Um, I wandered around the graveyard when I visited because I knew that the Hearts obviously had a big connection with Muff, so I thought that they definitely would have a headstone in the grave um, yard, and they didn't. I later got talking to um, the caretaker, who said that the Hearts were very proud of owning Muff, as I've already said. So they have this private graveyard here, which is to the right of the grave, and they have erected no tombstones. Um, but all the Hearts are buried there. And the reason that they have no plaques or anything up in the graveyard is because they've put them all inside the church. Um, if you walk into Muff, um, Church of Ireland Church is a shrine to the hearts. Um, I've only got two images here. These are military achievements, and they're on either side of the church. They have two of them, big, massive plaques, and they were military achievements awarded to the Hart family. And this little plaque here is a gold plaque, and you can faintly make it out, but William Edward Hart, that is the heart I'm talking about, Colonel John George von Hart's dad, um, and that's his mum there, Bessie, Bessie Louisa, and um, Hart's father died in 1919 and that has a big impact on what I'm going to be talking about. Um, okay. So I've given you some information in regards to the Hearts, but the information I've gathered relating to Hearts' personal experience of the revolution is mainly from Hearts' letter books, which are deposited 
deposited at Prony, there is a larger heart collection dating from the 1600s until 1944, and Hart's car carbon letters are part of that wider collection. Hart's letters mainly cover business and estate matters, however, he does mention the political situation a lot, which evidences that he was affected by it. I should mention from the onset that Hart's personal experience of the revolution was not a positive one. Hart's letters run from 1919 until 1944. However, after 1928, for reasons I will inform you of later, the letters mainly consist of estate matters. Hart came back to Gulderry from his military post in 1919 when his father became ill. I mentioned the plaque there. Um, and he soon passed away. He was supposed to return to his military post in the West Indies. However, he never did. He wrote to a friend and explained why. He stated, quote, The state of the country does not encourage one to push off and leave one's family to the tender attention of Sinn Féin. Um, Hart's experience of the revolution in many ways, and um, Hart experienced the revolution in many ways, and therefore I am going to highlight these for you, naming just a few. I have highlighted three main topics which became very apparent when I read Hart's letters. I'm firstly going to talk about um, Hart's experience with Sinn Féin, and then I'm going to move on to Hart's experience with the Boundary Commission, and then I'm going to mention one practical issue that Hart faced um, with being in the south but living very close to the north, um, and that is the postal concerns he had over customs. Um, Hart's arrival back in Ireland and his decision to stay at home was due to the rise of Sinn Féin and the worsening political situation in Ireland. The rise of Sinn Féin in 1818 and the onset of the War of Independence in 1919 are two key examples of how the political situation in Ireland changed during this time. For Unionists, it was gruelling. The main issue which appears in Hart's early letters is, is his concern regarding the rise of Sinn Féin, who in 1917 had become committed to an Irish Republic. In the same year in Donegal, they had 34 clubs and 1,634 members, all of whom had been very active in propaganda work. The party swept the polling booths in the December 1918 general election, winning 70, 73 of a possible 105 seats. Graham Walker brilliantly sums up unionist feelings after this result. He stated, The outcome of the 1918 general election saw a batch of unionists, 23 out of 26 from Ulster, face the overnight lethroom of Sinn Féin, Pierce Lawler in the outrages 1920-1922 IRA and an Ulster special constabulary in the border campaign argues that violence occurred mainly in the south. However, it shifted to the north after 1918 when Sinn Féin's popularity increased. This resulted in Hugh O'Doherty being appointed as the first Catholic mayor of Derry. O'Doherty's appointment outraged unionists as it symbolised their loss of political power. Hart referred to this violence several times in his early letters, making passing comments on how the strikes had prevented his going into Derry. He also stated in a letter to his cousin Harry that, quote, things are moderately quiet now and will remain so as long as sufficient troops remain in Derry. Hart appeared to be willing to wait and see how things progressed as they were moderately quiet in his area to begin with. However, he seems certain that the peace would not last. Writing in August 1921, he stated, quote, this, di this district has been one of the most peaceful in Ireland, not that that's saying much. And here, everyone tries to look after his job so long as he's not interested with such matters. But how long that will last, one can't say, end quote. 
As the violence in Derry intensified, so too did Hart's annoyance with the situation. As might be imagined, he sided with the Unionist cause as often as possible. Reflecting on the violence in a letter to a relative in Canada, Hart observed, quote, You'll have seen about the little war we've been having here. People talk about it as midsummer madness. He's put that in brackets. And so on. But there really was very little madness about it. You'll understand the palaver perfectly. But put shortly, it amounts to this. The Unionists in Derry have seen the whole of the other three provinces terrorised by Sinn Féin. Sinn Féin now think it's time they began to force themselves on Ulster. The natural result is a clash. And so the present peace will only last as long as sufficient troops remain in Derry. His use of the word clash is interesting because Hart appears to have believed that things would get worse. But this was balanced by a rather urbane, ironic tone. Hart reiterates the point he made to his cousin Harry about peace only lasting so long as the trips remained. Hart was very aware that the political unrest would remain for some time. He also made it clear that he thought it right that Unionists should stand up for themselves. Far from midsummer madness, the Unionist position was for Hart perfectly rational. Leaving aside Derry, Hart was more personally concerned with unrest in Muff as this was his own locality. When inviting an old army friend, Arthur Miles Ferber, to visit, he included a witty line referring to Sinn Féin, as he often did, proposing that Ferber and his family come and have a peaceful holiday unless, quote, Sinn Féin are more busy here than they are at present. End quote. Hart's witty comments regarding Sinn Féin reflected a real concern for Hart. However, he sought to mask this. In the same letter, Hart proceeded to tell Ferber of his concerns, mentioning that Sinn Féin had raided every house in Muff for arms except his own because, quote, they know quite well that if one wanted to hide arms here, they cannot be found in one night's search, for the buildings cover at least two acres of ground, and most are in such bad repair except for the main house that there would be lots of hiding places, end quote. Despite this, Hart took no chances and deposited all belongings which Sinn Féin may wish to steal to the bank for safekeeping. He sent, quote, all kinds from crusader swords to dueling pistols into Derry, end quote. He claimed, quote, there are no modern firearms nor any which could be used at all at the present time, end quote. But preferred that the antique weapons he did own, he deposited safely in Derry rather than risk their capture. He certainly wouldn't have wanted Sinn Féin um, to have gotten them. His deposit... And his depositing off the possessions showed that there was a real concern that his house could be raided, despite him saying that he was pretty certain it wouldn't be. Um, therefore, despite the underlying tone of wit, which comes out so evidently in his letters, we see a practical man emerging who was clearly worried about how the political situation could affect him and therefore took preventative measures. Despite Hart's fears, Kildare was not raided and it appeared that his initial worries of unrest in 1919 had subsided by 1921, although which time, around which time we see evidence that he thought the political situation was becoming more peaceful. Hart's changing views are illustrated by his opinion of the 1921 House of Commons elections, which he noted, quote, went off very peacefully and successfully. I've never seen so well-tempered an election as that in Derry before, end quote. In County London Derry, five candidates were elected, three Unionists, one Nationalist and one Sinn Féin candidate. The election took place on the 24th of May with Unionists winning a majority in Northern Ireland with 40, with 40 seats, while the Nationalists gained six seats. It is unsurprising that Hart faced no disruption during this time as there was no election in the South. Hart and those he surrounded himself with would have found the result very agreeable. If the result had not been so decidedly in the favour of unionism, Hart may not have been as relaxed about the election. 
Those who find themselves experiencing the rise of Sinn Féin from a unionist perspective face uncertainty at this time. In further correspondence to Ferber in August 1921, Hart stated, quote, I don't know how things are going to turn out over here, but as for neutral, as you ask, all I can say is that nobody over here would be neutral unless he was neuter. A few pretend to belong to the enemy simply for fear of the consequences. These few sentences perfectly sum up Hart's feelings at the time. All were uncertain and Hart suggested that some pretended to be on the side of what he viewed as the nationalist enemy. Um, Here Hart's use of language is very telling. It was very much a them and us situation in Hart's mind, a war. Clearly Hart was very pragmatic. He was able to read a situation well. Hart knew that he was biding his time. Um, that the period of relative peace would not keep up. All time, as time continues, we see more issues that Hart was faced with. Um, because of the unrest in Derry, or because of the unrest in Muff, Hart felt um, that he had to make flexible plans to leave Kildare if the situation were to worsen. Um, this is extremely interesting. I find it interesting um, as it shows that whilst Hart had a long connection in the area, his family had been on the land since the, since the 1600s, he was willing to leave all that behind so that he could be on the right side of the border as he saw it. Um, Hart had not only inherited Kildare and Ballynagard. When his father died, Ballynagard was a house that was about a mile from the Kildare home, but crucially for hard it was on the northern side of the border um, but after soon after his father died he, inher- he inherited a house in Woodville Derry which is in Eglinton if anyone is familiar with the water side of Derry from a late aunt Hard had tenants in the house but made it quite clear to the family that this arrangement was on a temporary basis and that he would not sell them the house as he may move there himself if the political situation continued to intensify. He wrote in April 1919 to Mr. McRoy, who was the tenant, quote, I do not know how the present political situation is going to turn out, but one might find it necessary to go there ourselves in the case of the current political situation turning out badly, end quote. However, Hart did not leave Kildare at this time. He saw a silver lining in the situation, which he hoped would rescue him from needing to move. That hope came in the form of the Boundary Commission, which is the next aspect of Hart's revolution, a revolutionary experience, which I will address. So the Boundary Commission um, is my second point. The 1911 census records show that at the time there were 1,919 Catholics and 3,230 non-Catholics in East Donegal. I should hasten to add that not all Protestants were Unionists and vice versa, but the majority of cases in this area were. Many Protestants therefore believed that East Donegal should be brought into the North. The Donegal Protestant Registration Association, the DPRA, were instrumental, instrumental in voicing their concerns regarding East Donegal to the Boundary Commission and Hart played an important role in articulating the view of Southern Unionists. Due to the findings of the Boundary Commission, it seems fair to state that in East Donegal, most Unionists were Protestants. Um, these findings stated that certain areas of Donegal along the eastern border contained strongholds of unionists who wished to live in the north. The DPRA made statements to the commission demonstrating that in the majority in these area, the majority in these areas wished to remain in the United Kingdom. The Boundary Commission concluded that these areas should be transferred to the north. 
I mentioned earlier that the family's intention to move from Kildare was hinted at from as early as 1919 with the investigation of the Boundary Commission. All notions of a move were put on hold until the outcome had been decided. Um, Hart really threw himself into um, the Boundary Commission findings from 1914 or 1924 to 1925 and his letters are very interesting as that period was a very important time for border unionists such as Hart because Article 12 of the Anglo-Irish Agreement of 1921 was finally implemented on the 11th of December 1924 with the commission, when the Commission held their first meeting. The agreement provided the grounds for the establishment of, quote, a commission consisting of three persons to determine in accordance with the wishes of inhabitants, so far as may be compatible with economic and geographic conditions, the boundaries between Northern Ireland and the rest of Ireland, end quote. This commission became known as the Irish Boundary Commission and was a tri-party committee founded, formed by representatives from the Republic of Ireland, Northern Ireland and Britain. The committee first met in late 1924, by which time Owen McNeill had been elected commissioner for the South. Mr Justice Richard Thetham was appointed by the British government to be chairman and Joseph Fisher was the Northern Irish representative. It is interesting to note the gap between the signing of the Anglo-Irish Agreement in 1921, which provided for the Commission and the Commission's eventual establishment in 1924. This was largely due to the unwillingness of Northern Ireland to elect Commissioner. Fisher was eventually selected by Westminster to represent Northern Ireland as the British government refused to appoint a Commissioner themselves. This unwillingness to cooperate would no doubt have worried Donegal Unionists, leading them to feel them leading to them feeling abandoned by unionists in Northern Ireland. The feeling of abandonment is clearly displayed in letter Hart writes in February 1925, quote, one's principle of loyalty to Crown, Empire and British connection, which we all understand, and let the rest go to Hades, end quote. Here Hart is saying to another fellow unionist that unionists are not bound together by religion, but by their loyalty to the Crown and the British Empire. During a time where they felt abandoned, Hart was urging his fellow unionists to be united, not in religion but in politics, when presenting their case to the Boundary Commission. Around 1924, Hart began addressing correspondence to dear Mr Scott of Birdstown House, Burnfoot, County Donegal. When I noticed this, reading his letters, this was particularly interesting to me because I had done studies on the Boundary Commission before um, in my undergrad um, dissertation but I wasn't looking at a particular family and I came across Mr Scott a lot. Um, so it was interesting to see that Hart had a lot of involvement with him. So Captain John Scott was chairperson of the DPRA, a land agent and had lived in Donegal for 20 years. However, he himself was from County Antrim. Hart and Scott appear to have two completely different personalities. Um, this may be because Hart was from the area and was very passionate about Muff, and Scott seems to not always have taken um, Hart's ideas on board. Scott appears, Scott appears to be more diplomatic, whereas Hart was shrewder and to the point with his desires for the outcome of the Boundary Commission. They had very different views, which will become clear. However, they were linked by their shared interest in seeing that certain areas of East Donegal be brought into the jurisdiction of Northern Ireland. Hart tries to persuade Scott to see the situation as a political issue, not a religious one. He quotes to him, If one were to become a Buddhist tomorrow, it would not alter one's political convictions and politics and principles. 
sorry, end quote, Hart realised that if they explained their aim as being that of seeking decent government and not a religious issue over religion, he could try to convince nationalists to join the DPRA. So he was trying to get the DPRA to be an umbrella group, not just for um, Protestants, it was for unionists. Hart stated that his agenda was not about religion, although in Hart's letters it is obvious that Hart did see the Protestants majority or the Protestant um, population as somewhat superior. Therefore, he may have believed that the British government was stronger than that of the Irish. Hart did appear genuine that his that this issue was not a religious one. However, he was very strongly about it. I felt very strongly about it. Although religious, religion and politics were definitely connected for Hart and clearly many other unionists, as this is what is suggested by the Donegal Protestant Registration Association's title. Hart wanted to be as open as possible and about the DPRA, and in a letter to Scott in October 1924, he stated we should, quote, do what we do as openly as possible. If we try to keep everything to ourselves, it comes out just the same and in the way of gossip, which mu- with much added, such as the suggestion of becoming Republicans, etc. This is far worse than to have people know what we, what exactly we are doing, end quote. Perhaps here Hart is referring to the Republican Rebellion. Um, Hart was very open in his articulation, or referring to the Republican Rebellion here, Hart was very open in his articulation of unionism and would rather the truth be known about what he was doing than for someone to suggest that they were planning a unionist rebellion. Um, Peter Hart and the IRA and its enemies, Violence and Community in Cork, 1916 to 1923, mentions an occurrence which seems to have parallels to Hart's own story. Peter Hart writes that on the 26th of April, 1926, at 2.30am in Cork, Thomas Hornibrook's home was invaded by the IRA. The invasion was led by Michael O'Neill. It was believed that the Hornibrooks were kidnapped and killed, um, being made to dig their own graves because they were very devout members of the Church of Ireland and had made their opposition to the Republic no secret. It was rumoured that Hornibrook was part of a loyalist conspiracy party titled the Protestant Action Group and they were planning some sort of rebellion against the Republic. Peter Hart writes that conspiracies similar to this one were widespread in Ireland during this time, and perhaps Hart um, was aware of this and therefore did not want to face the same fate as the Hornibrooks had, hence by him wanting to make it as open as possible about what they were trying to do. Um, The DPRA sought to achieve a correct census of the Muff area, and from that to work out the religious makeup of the area, this was how they were going to pitch it to the um, Boundary Commission. They achieved this by updating the current voting register. The process was not straightforward and involved contacting all the houses in the area, which Hart took upon himself to do. However, the fact that Hart and his associates persisted with collecting this evidence and compiling arguments in support of their agenda shows their commitment and dedication to the cause. As we have already seen, Hart was constantly writing to Scott with suggestions as how to improve the association, something Scott seemed not so interested in taking on board. For example, the name change Hart desired. Hart wrote to Scott in February 19. 25 with the following quote it has occurred to me as a suggestion to put forward the following short title Donegal Security Association long title Donegal Association for the representation of all who desire security and stability of government in Donegal or some words to that effect end quote the fact that Hart wanted the word security and stability of government in the title clearly shows that he did not want to categorize the association as pure, being purely religious 
Um, Hart thought that the aim of the association should be about be about decent government governing, and he believed nationalists would sympathise with this. Hart clearly took all matters to do with the association very seriously. In the same letter, letter dated the 19th of February 1925, Hart even included a drawing of what he believed the logo should look like. Um, it was a picture of what I believe is Doe Castle. Um, and then it just had a banner along it with stability, security. Um, we know, however, that Scott did not take on Hart's suggestions as his suggested name was not used. Um, and it appears that the badge was also dismissed. The association seemed satisfied that there was a strong case to be made in the Commission in support of the claim that small areas around Muff and Kilmore be brought into the north. Scott, however, seemed to suggest that the association try to argue for the transferal of as much land as possible instead of sticking to the original plan of suggesting for only small areas around the Derry-Donegal border for transferal. Writing to Scott in March 1925, Hart stated, I'm afraid I cannot be part of doing as suggested. I quite agree with the idea of trying to get what we can, but though it is obvious that for the portions mentioned, we have an extremely good claim and not for other parts, or at least not so good. We cannot, at least in my opinion, let them think we're asking for dairy too, as has been publicly stated, and then ask for or offer to accept only a small portion of it without letting everyone know about it. I quite see that it would be advantage, uh, advantageous for a large number of people besides ourselves, but if the, the case is good, then let everyone concerned know about it. The other idea is too much of a political waggle for me, who am, not, who am, who am most certainly no politician. Here Hart was arguing with Scott that they do not have enough evidence to support a claim for the area of Derry, of Derry 2, which was one of the five district electoral divisions in London Derry, as they did not have sufficient evidence to support this claim. Hart only wanted to ask the Boundary Commission for claims that he knew they definitely could get because he didn't want to ask for too much in fear that they would get nothing. Um, he wanted to ensure that Muff would definitely be brought into the north, so he didn't want to jeopardise this claim. Um, instead, Hart urged Scott to only make claims for small areas of Derry too, as, as they did have evidence to support this claim. This demonstrates that even under the unionist umbrella, differences existed and everybody had their individual aims and ambitions. From the official Boundary Commission report, which was eventually published in 1969, we see that the DPRA made submissions to the committee that suggested that they had a strong Protestant claim for the areas of Pedigo and the adjoining district and certain townlands on either side of the River Urn and the neighbourhood of Bleak. However, from the above, we see that Hart wanted to be careful with what they made claims for. Oh, have I missed a page? He wanted to be careful with what they had made claims for. He believed that they had strong claims in certain areas and not in others, and in no time for political games. This shows Hart's personality. He was very shrewd and uninterested in being involved in political ploys or waggling, as he called it. That could have jeopardised unionist claims for areas he believed should be moved. The official boundary can work... The official Boundary Commission report stated the Donegal Protestant Registration Association claimed that the Unionist inhabitants of Turconnell desired that it should be included in Northern Ireland and that the economic difficulties occasioned by the boundary would therefore be removed. The association further claimed that in certain areas adjoining the boundary, the majority of the inhabitants, including almost all the farmers and landowners, were Unionists and that in other neighbouring areas, the majority of landowners and farmers were Unionists. The area 
areas specially claimed in the neighbourhood of Londonderry were formal rural districts of Londonderry number two and Straban number two, with small additional areas adjoining them. The above therefore suggests that the DPRA did only ask for certain areas of Derry 2 and Shaban 2. They didn't ask for everything as um, seems to be what Scott wanted. However, despite Hart stating that this was not a unionist nationalist issue but was instead about good government, the DPR and DPRA included in their findings that the area was area was unionist and therefore it made sense to them to be brought into the north as they felt many had been alienated and some even targeted because they were unionists and mainly Protestants. Northern Ireland had and still does have a much larger population of unionists unionists and Protestants. Therefore, the DPAR thought it had reasonable evidence to support a claim that areas of Donegal be brought into Northern Ireland. Um, So we all know that the Boundary Commission was suppressed and that... um, Hart did not get his desire to be brought into the North. Therefore, um, he's re- after um, the, it became known that it was going to be suppressed and nothing was going to be happening, Hart said um, that he was going to move immediately um, from the South to the North. However, he did sell Woodville during that time because he was so um, certain that they were going to get what he wanted. Therefore, he decided to move to Ballynagard, which was the other family home that I mentioned, um, which was about 80 kilometres a mile from his home in Kildare. However, for him, it was in the North and that was important. Therefore, he wrote to his uncle and in 1927, when he eventually did move, he couldn't move earlier because of dry rot in the home in Ballynagard. He said, nothing compares to finally being rid of the Irish government. Um, unfortunately, I think I've run out of time, so I can't mention my third point. Okay, I'll try and quickly go through my third point. So this was the postal system. Um, many of the issues which did face um, these people who lived in the border areas were more practical issues. They weren't big issues. So... Um, Something that did crop up a lot when I read Hart's letters was the postal system. Um, he was very annoyed about customs. He would absolutely not let his address be known as um, Donegal, Ireland. Um, so he wrote near Donegal, <laughs> or uh, near Londonderry, sorry, on everything. And a lot of people then would write um, Londonderry. They would mistake it for Londonderry and omit the near. And then he wouldn't get his post and then he'd have to write to the people and say, we're actually not in Londonderry, um, we're near Londonderry. Um, he was very annoyed then when in 1927 what he called a Sinn Féin postmaster came and wouldn't let him um, address his post in such way. Um, so there's a lot of um, rude words floating about about her at that time. Um, so he eventually had an argument out with her and um, he then started not letting any post go to his home in Kildare at all and sent everything to Ballynagard but she was on to him and wouldn't let him do this either <laughs> um, so there was a big fight there but um, he eventually did move to Ballynagard and um, all was resolved for his postal um, issues <laughs> Um, okay, so I hope that by addressing some of these issues, you will have had a wider sense of how Hart experienced the revolution. For Hart, he had an unpleasant experience. However, I believe that this is mainly due to the family's strong unionist ideas. From reading Hart's letters, it became apparent that even if Hart had not been affected by the revolution, he most likely would have moved anyway, as he would not have allowed himself to be governed by the free state. Many Protestants, such as Scott, who I mentioned earlier, did stay and had a positive experience of the revolution. Um, I just have one last photo, I believe. 
This is the Kildare House as it stands today. It's now apartments. I couldn't get up too close to it as I, <laughs> I looked a bit creepy. It's a private road. Um, but that is Kildare House and it still remains. Ballynagard's no longer here. <laughs> 